Hello everyone and welcome to another year and another episode of the Rouge Rugby Podcast where we talk about real Canadian rugby. I'm your host, Stu Hardy, joined as always by Derek Brissett. Derek, you know, we've taken a fair bit of time off because, you know, December, start of January, in North America, it's usually, usually very quiet. And apparently 23 into 24 was like, you know what this time needs? Some havoc, some chaos. Yeah. Everyone loves chaos, especially around Christmas time. So, yeah, there's a lot of news that has happened over, I think, like the past six weeks since we last recorded. Um, yeah. But, yeah, how, how has your holidays been? It's been a while since uh, we've seen each other. So did uh, Santa give you any uh, pleasant uh, rugby gifts for Christmas? Uh, actually, yeah. Um, actually, let me let me tip this camera a little bit. Uh, my stepbrother Anthony actually got me this Rugby Canada scarf, um, which uh, was I thought was cool. Um, and then my uh, my girlfriend's dad did a like two week trip to New Zealand and Australia, mm -hmm. um, and he brought me back an All Blacks toque. So Ooh. yeah, actually, I don't usually get rugby gifts, but um, this Christmas was actually uh, was actually not too bad for. Uh, the the rugby gift side of things um you know and uh i don't know how about you did you get any uh any cool rugby related fair uh, yes my uh girlfriend's sisters got me um some rugby gifts from shop mlr.com because they're currently based in the united states and they're uh um and you know with the end of the arrows they were having a fire sale of mm everything must go so they were able to get me the vintage edition of the jersey for 2023 yeah. um short as well and i think it was the 2022 um fan like city jersey it's it's something that was only oh, available with, like, on skyline on it yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah which yeah. i'm and i'm but like the, the oh, team's never cool. actually wore but they were just like, well, it was, it was like fan wear. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it makes sense. So, but you know, like those mementos, that's pretty good. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's the one thing, honestly, like I'm kind of really sad about now is I never, for whatever reason, never bought an arrows Jersey. And now I'm like, I need to get an arrows Jersey somehow. Oh man, um, you have. Yeah, I know. Slipped it's been, up. It's too long. It's been too long. Cause it was like every year I was kind of like, I'll like, I'll get one next year. Or whatever or like i i don't know like at games and stuff i always felt like i don't know it's just in my own head but sometimes i'm just like it feels weird like wearing a media pass and like going to like the fan gear booth and stuff even though i did do it but i was just like i never really walked over there during a game um that was just something in my own head i i guess it probably wouldn't have been a weird thing to do at all um but like i never did it and then like this year, I was like, okay, I should buy one. And then they were like, we're going to rebrand. And I was like, okay, I'll just buy the new one that's rebranded. And then Kitmas happened, and I shed a tear because I'm mm. like, oh, right. There's there's no new Arrows jersey this year. Um, and um, I don't know what made me cry more during Kitmas this year, which I think we want to get into. If we, we will get into that. Yeah. So I think, I'm, not, so, I'm just not sure what made me cry more, though. The fact that there was no Arrows jersey or having to look at San Diego's jersey. I'm not sure what actually made me shed more tears. San Diego had a jersey. Uh, it was camouflage, so I couldn't see it. I wish you couldn't see it. That's uh, the, this thing stinks. It's well, again, we'll, we'll get to Kitmas in a bit. That's, that's, we're going to focus you know, north of the border 
uh, first of all, because in the time since we last recorded, uh, Rugby Canada have released their strategic plan for 2024 to 27 and beyond. Now, in all fairness, they do this every um, Rugby World Cup cycle or so for the men, especially for the men's side. They did one, I think. It's a plan. Yeah, tw- I think they did one, which was 20. 20- 19 to 23 which had things like qualify for the world cup which obviously definitely happened and um so the strategic plan that has come out uh the main focus seems to be on this thing called one squad so the idea of like we need to stop uh pitting the teams against each other because this was something that did come up in the high performance review that the uh, 15s teams, men and women's, felt like they were fighting each other for resources. The 15s and 7s teams were fighting each other for resources. And it's um, so the things they mention are um, the three categories in the one squad um, ethos is support teams to win, be a leading sports organization, and expand financial capacity. So, in by that, they mean. Um, Now, in the article, I should say, they go into much greater depth of what each of these things means. Uh, Their overall goal is to build high-performing national teams, both in the 15s and 7s for men and women, uh, provide training environments that achieve success, and be an exceptional national governing body. So it all focuses towards if we can do each of these three things, we can improve the standing of the teams. We can improve the position of rugby Canada as a whole. And, you know, we're in a better position than we are now. The entire expanded um, high performance review does open with a letter from Sally Dennis. And she does mention, don't get me wrong, this plan won't fix rugby in Canada overnight. We are not that naive. However, it provides a credible platform and formula for doing so over a realistic time frame and sets us on an, rev- an evolutionary course that will be transformational. However, one of the things they do want to be is ranked as a top 12 team so they want the key outcomes to be women always in the top four and in contention to win the rugby world cup 2025 the men to return to the top 12 and qualify for rugby world cup 2027 and the men and women compete in the olympic games now a couple of those goals sound a little bit more achievable than others yeah now i mean one of those one of those goals has sort of being complete. I mean, the women are going to compete in the Olympic Games. The men, not so sure. The thing is, is it's like, I mean, I know you probably want to go on here. Like, the bullet points that you just kind of listed off is all, I don't know, it's all fairly generic. I'm like, yeah, the seventh team goal is to play at the Olympics. Yes, it's, mm. it, yeah, it should be. Same with yeah. every union in the mm. world. It's, it yeah. should be. Now, like, now, admittedly, that that is just like the bullet point objective. That yeah, that's that would be a thing point. of like if yeah. we if we can reach this target, we know we're on the right course. Yeah. Um. So uh, the women's 15s always in the top four and in contention to win. I mean, you've seen their performance over the in 2023. I think the yeah. only real challenges they've had are from England and um, the Black Ferns, which are teams number one and two, which, you know, that's the competition you want to have challenges with. So that I can get. I've I've noticed it's the men's side, which is the more optimistic. Even on the women's side, though, like, I think, like, if you're doing goal setting, 
like you're saying, like the goal that they list is to be top four in the world. It's like, well, they're already top four. The women's already top four in the world. Why not make your goal to win the World Cup? Like, why not just write win the World Cup as like your next goal? Because it's like they're already there. The next step is winning the World Cup. Or and that's, a, that's, a that's the next step. Point. That's the next goal. Like, why not just say that you're already there? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. To me, that's what the next goal should have been. Like, it's it's like, I don't know. To me, that kind of feels like at least on the women's side. It's kind of just like, like, okay, like as long as we're top four, we're happy, which is fine. Right. But, and like, you should want to be top four and stuff, but it's like, you're already there. Like you already got to the medal rounds of a world cup. Like your next step isn't being top four. Your next step is winning the world cup. Right. And like, that's kind of how I view that. Um, like the men's side, I get being like initial step one goal. It's like you want to get like even that. It's like you want to get back to the top twelve, and it's like it took them ten years to fall out of the top twelve. Like it'll mm-hmm. take a, it's going to take a while to climb back. As you mentioned, like the strategic plan does mention not that it's not going to happen overnight. But I'm like for that, I'm almost like it almost feels like the women's side of the way they wrote this goal isn't dreaming big enough. But the men's side seems like it was dreaming too big when they yeah. it's like, why not make the goal to be like, well, let's just like, like, let's get back to top 20 in the world or like, not, yeah. not top 20, like, let's do, let's, let's do some steps in this, in this process. Like, let's get back to top 20. Let's get back to the world cup. Like, let's do that and then target the top 12 or whatever, yeah. like in a weird way. Whereas like the women, it's like. The women's goal, sh- the women's team, I think, is at the point where it's like their goal should be win. Like that's the women's goal right now to me is where where, where I think the women's team should be at right now. At least if if I'm in charge of the goal setting for them. Yeah, I can agree with that. I I can see like both sides of then, you know, as in if you look at France, you look at. Uh, New Zealand and England, they've professionalized women's competition and yeah. therefore they already have the step ahead. And if it's just like, and if the idea is like, well, you know, Australia, they've, they've started to professionalize their W series and, you know, you've got other nations that are basically coming up, even just staying forth will become the challenge. It's not the challenge now because they're obviously already there, but it's like retaining cool. that capabilities anyway i i don't want to belabor on this point uh too long um the other thing is one that folks on they want to expand financial capacity that includes um a portfolio of major events with the idea of hosting up to four major events each year to deliver significant economic and societal impact to canadian cities um they want to engage with world rugby to retain the canada sevens and innovate the event design um, there's also talking about expanding uh, broadcast partnerships. I remember when we were watching the men's uh, qualifiers mm-hmm. for the World Cup and they were beyond subscription a subscription service that you had to pay for the game specifically and it was just an absolute mess and people were like, why is this not on TSN? Just so much easier and simpler. So obviously doing that. Um, no, they want to get a clear sponsorship structure in place. I think they've already begun doing that with like the women's 15s as and I think yeah, I think just women's 15s at the moment. I think they'll obviously expand to sevens when um 
it gets closer to the Olympics and stuff, but we've seen how like um, NFP is the sponsor of the women's um, 15s and they have their own um, sponsor partnerships. And if they couldn't expand that similar to, for the men's and for the men's and women's sevens, but I know that their sponsorship and funding is also included with the um, Olympic uh, avenues as well. So, um, you know, main to be seen and as well be a leading sports organization so they want to have constant communication with uh, governing bodies and um, have a safe trustworthy high performing culture which is again something that they've um, been flagged at in the um, high performance review of saying that there was no um, culture for the high performance and yeah. players didn't feel safe uh, there was a lack of trust between uh, players, coaches, and staff, and so mm -hmm. I think I think we can look at this one way and say like this is very neutral, generic terms, and you know, the, in a results-based environment, which is the environment of professional sport, you need to have something coming back to show you that things are going on. But like we've said before. Rugby Canada have been ignoring problems that have been there since the turn of professionalism. They are in a 30-year hole. It's not going to be overnight that they're, you know, back into, you know, the top 12 for the men and, you know, one of the highest regarded rugby organizations in the world. So, you know, uh, so on the other hand, I can say like now they've actually written out what they intend to do it means and that we can hold them accountable for when they don't they're do not performing it and um, reward them when they are. Because, you know, I feel like it's easy to criticize and say you're doing it wrong all the time. But if they are actually doing stuff, you then, you know, hands up. I'll give them their uh, laurels when they're due. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. Like, there's nothing in the plan that's bad, that's negative, that I don't like. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm nitpicking, like, some of the wording on it yeah but like overall like i like there's nothing there that you don't disagree with it's like i mean you could probably boil it down to like um yeah it's like we want our teams to win um we want to be a better organization and we want to make more money um yeah yeah um those <laughs> like right and it's like um you can't really argue with it um it's just one of those things where it's like i think the view on rugby canada from a lot of the public right now is a little soured Mm -hmm. um right so it's like i think in a lot of ways it's just like it's one thing to put this out right it's another thing entirely to like execute it um so like let's just hope they're able to execute it and make it work um because yeah I, I would love to see rugby canada back to being a top 12 men's team and have the women's team constant have the women's team winning world cups and stuff like yeah of course this, right like and and i and like you know, there were some things that, you know, may not come to fruition. The obviously men returning to the top 12 by 2027. That's going to take a while. Take a while. Uh, that, that may take a, that may be the and beyond part of this yeah. plan. But then there's other things like if um, the Canada Sevens state is gets a contract for the next 10 years, then that's a job well done. That's if, and also yeah. regular international games for the men's and women's teams Canada. in Canada. Again, that's going to be far greater yeah. than the you know, goals. Get it. The goals aren't bad. It's just yeah, goals aren't bad. It's just 
We want them now. We want them now. It's, it's not want. even that we want them now, though. It's just like, yeah, like we, you got to do it, though. Like, we yeah, have, you got to put the work in. Yeah, got to get it. Okay, now, all right, we're just gonna have a little bit of fun because one thing that is mentioned in the performance plan is their high performance hubs that they want to have across the nation, and the target is to have four hubs by 2025 and eight by 2029. So Derek, what you and I are going to do now is we are going to decide where these four hubs by 2025 should be and mm. eight by 2029. So I'm going to give you the first two. Where are the two places in Canada that you would locate these hubs? Um. Well, I think because there was that other document that came out, I think BC Rugby News had it. Um, that yes. Was, like they do want to focus on the women's that like initial focus of these um high performance hubs is going to be the women's team mm -hmm. um so if that's the case the first one's easy it's the one that already exists on vancouver island like that's an easy one um and then the second one i'd probably put it in montreal just because there's a decent chunk of the women's team that's from quebec um and mm -hmm. there's a little bit of the eastern parts Plus, Rugby Canada also needs to grow their brand in that province a little bit. So why not? Yeah. So um, for a city perspective, would you just say Victoria for uh, the first, so on Vancouver Island? Well, like where it is right yeah. now, like the current Al Sharon training center. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. In Langford, right? Like it's yeah. where it is right now. Like, yeah, that's that's one. That's one. That's one. That, that's going to be the easiest one to that, do. Of that just is like... the easiest one. The one that exists. The Alcheron High Performance Center slash hub. That's all you have to do yeah, is no, add those four characters. Done. Yeah, it's the um, one that exists. That's the easiest one. Uh, okay, so I, I'm i going to pick like the obvious um, population area means we have to have one in Toronto. Yeah. Uh, we've also, you know, talked about how schemes in the city have helped uh, female players go and perform at... Um, colleges and university and even get picked by national squads yeah. so yeah i agree with that i'm also gonna say this is gonna be somewhat left field but at the same time not um halifax now we have um the atlantic selects we ran the tour of the atlantic privateers and the you know we've talked about the interest of the wanderers ground getting uh redeveloped into a Mm. Uh, multi-sport stadium that can hold uh, rugby games as well as soccer and um, Canadian yeah. football, um, and that just seems that seems like the iron is hot, and this is the time yeah. to strike. So I'd the say only... Halifax. Right, as... So so yeah, oh. we'll have um, the only Lang thing I don't like about these selections right now, though, is it ignores a huge part of the country with men. Oh, absolutely. That's the thing. This is, but That's again. Serious. Again, we, we've just picked like the four that we are going to do first. Now, I'm going to ask you, Derek, where are the next four places that the next um, should have the 2029 hub? Well, like, yeah, like if that was the first four, like, so like initially I was going to say, um, if you were going to let me pick all four, I was going to say Ottawa. Instead, yeah, because I think like Ottawa could be a good geographical split area. Where it's like you can get players from Quebec and Ontario to go to Ottawa, mm -hmm. uh, depending yep. on that. Um, and then you could also have like players from Quebec go to Halifax if they wanted to, too. So I yeah. thought Ottawa might be a good hub thing as well. Um, you got to have one like 
Calgary might be interesting because they're such a big national, like a national team, like Canada wide, all different sports. There's a big like Canadian national sports organization presence in Calgary, although mm-hmm. it's more yeah. for winter sports. Um, mm-hmm. so Calgary might be interesting. Um, I don't know. I'll go Calgary and hope you say somewhere in Winnipeg or man or somewhere in Manitoba or Saskatchewan <laughs> to round it out. Somewhere in Winnipeg. Somewhere, yeah. Oh. I was gonna say, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll pick uh, East Winnipeg. Um, Winnipeg, yeah, somewhere I, in Winnipeg, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, like rugby, Manitoba. They is, should just, yeah, they should just be have spread out. Really. As well. It should just be evenly spread out throughout the country. Pick major cities. Yeah, that's uh, it. Yeah, because part, kind of, part of me wants to pick uh, Vancouver, but at the same time, it's like if you have Vancouver Island, and there's there's already enough. Um, high performance uh, clubs in Vancouver. You know, we're getting like the Vancouver Highlanders as well. So there's another avenue to go down. So um, now, admittedly, that's the men's team as opposed to women. So I think that's a bit. Uh... I, I think the big thing for me, wherever those four to eight hubs end up, they got to be in like major cities, yeah. be like fun places to live. Yeah, like I, well, well, that's it. You say fun places to live, and then we have Ottawa and Calgary. So, um, what's wrong with Ottawa and Calgary? Have you been? Have you been? Uh, I have not been to Calgary actually. I've well, been to Ottawa. What's wrong with Ottawa? Ottawa, uh, you know, it's good for a day, and you know, unless you're in politics, and unless you call the team called the Ottawa politicians, and then well, who I, knows? I don't, what I don't know why you're um, watching Ottawa right now. Well, I. Okay, I'd say or yeah, just I'd, new stadium that can play yeah. rugby in it too. Like I, I'm gonna pick. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna pick Winnipeg as well as one of the like secondary locations for the hub, just to have uh, something else in the prairies uh, between Manitoba and Saskatchewan. Yeah. I know it's. I, I know. I think like if there's going to be a further expansion of like maybe two more hubs, and say yeah, we can put a hub in Saskatchewan, but. Yeah. I think Manit- I think Winnipeg would cover both, and then um, just again because population decides, I would pick Ontario again, and I'd pick Hamilton. I That's think, too close uh, to Toronto for a national for a national thing. It's too close to Toronto. It's a f- thirty to forty minute drive from Toronto. It's that, that's yeah, I understand, but again, I'm using this as like a secondary location, and uh, it'll be like later one. on. If you're doing them in Ontario, you're doing one in like Toronto and Ottawa. Those are the two that would go in Ontario. And then like every other province gets one. Mm, I don't know. Well, not every other province, but like, yeah. Yeah. I think like if you go, I think to go back to like if the idea of the four, like the old like Canadian rugby championship where you had BC, the Prairie Wolf, like Prairie Wolf Pack that was like Alberta. Uh, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, the yeah. Ontario Blues, and then the Atlantic Rock, right? Like those are the four regions you got to cover. Um, yeah. The women's team being included in that, I think, makes it a little. I'm more interested in putting something in Montreal or Quebec City or anywhere in Quebec, really, mm. um, because there is such a big, um, like, there's a big portion of that team that does come from that province. So, like, I think that's helpful for them. Um, yeah. But, like, I don't know. There's a lot of options. It's honestly, it's going to be whatever makes the most financial sense. It's like anything. That whatever. that is correct. I, but I think yeah, Montreal, uh, 
Victoria, Toronto, and Halifax seem like a good starting point. And obviously the second four will be a decision later down the line. But, you know, I'm, yeah, over the full strategic plan. I'm feeling positive, especially if they can get things working. You know, they said um, having a good relationship with youth sports and getting, you know, I think the goal is also to get like the men's yeah. um, rugby in officially recognized by youth sports. They want to have good relationships with universities. Uh, obviously, universities do have access to a lot of um, gym equipment that would cater towards like a high performance yeah. environment. Um, but yeah, again, it's, one thing to write it down is another thing to put it into action. This isn't going to be overnight. It is planned for the next three years and beyond. Mm-hmm. So we will watch with bated breath. We will see how it all comes to be. And we're hoping, and you know, we're being cautiously optimistic and hoping for success. All right. Now let's uh, keep it with uh, Rugby Canada. We're going to focus on the men's 15s for a moment. Because the news announcement came out last week that Phil Mack has been appointed the attack coach for the men's national 15s team. And he is moving to a technical lead for the Pacific Pride. He has been the head coach for the Pacific Pride. And when you have something like technical lead... Does that mean like they're technically leading the team? <laughs> um, but Rugby Canada did put out a press release uh, as they are looking for a new head coach for the Pacific Pride, as well as being the head coach for the men's under-20s as well. So Phil Mack moving into a dual role with the Pride and Rugby Canada looking for another dual role head coach. Uh, well, and when that gets filled, we will let you know. Are you excited about this? I think... That there's a big um, swell of support for the men's team because of this. You know, Phil, yeah. um, you know, decorated uh, Canadian player and, yeah. you know, moved into the coaching role in 2019 with the Pride, became the head coach in 2021. Um, as from everything I've heard, he's been doing like wonders one, for the one team. One MLR Shield with Seattle. Well, two MLR Shields. Player coach. Player coach. And the coach for those teams. Um, Yeah. And um, yeah. So, I mean, see. uh, Yeah. From what I've seen, everyone seems positive about this. And and as well as a Canadian coaching Canadians on the national level as well. I think um, people are great to see that as well. See, that's the thing, though, is it's like, that's why I feel like I'm. I feel kind of weird about this. Um, like Phil Mack is honestly is like one of my favorite players ever. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's probably a lot of Canadians that would probably share that. I think he is deserving of this promotion, but like, like you were kind of just talking about with the high performance strategy, like a big issue that the high performance review and the new strategic plan seem to be addressing is like the culture within the organization Mm. as a whole. And like, at least from the men's team perspective, the two biggest moves that have happened recently is re-signing the head coach, right? Mm -hmm. That everybody unanimously thought that was a great idea, right? Yep. Absolutely. That was a great idea. Okay. Um, yeah, so like obviously the Kingsley Jones thing that was 
you know, that was received very poorly by a lot of people. And it's like the second move is to promote a guy from within the organization. Like, and I know that that guy is Phil Mack and everybody loves Phil Mack. And this isn't a, this isn't, I'm not trying to like knock Phil Mack in this, like this question. But my question is like, where does this culture change come from? If mm. all we're doing is rehiring the people that are already in the organization. And then those people are promoting from within the organization. Like we're just, you get. You know what I mean? Like Kingsley Jones, yeah. let's not forget, like we're saying there's a culture problem with Rugby Canada. Kingsley Jones is going to be one of the guys that drives that culture, but he's successful in the culture that from the outside looking in, we all say is failing. Yeah. Phil Mack is a guy that's been part of Rugby Canada forever, yeah. right? played for Kingsley Jones, mm. coaching within the same organization as Kingsley Jones, probably just got promoted by Kingsley Jones as well, right? Like, it like is that a different enough minds like mindset coming in, right? And it's just like Phil Mack mm. is a beloved figure in Canadian rugby, and I get that everybody loves him, but um, I'm just wondering, like, where's the culture change? Who is going to be the driving force behind the culture change if there's like nobody new coming mm. in? And like the two biggest new guys coming in, Nathan Bombries and Stephen Abood, have done really nothing so far to prove that they kind of think the same way as the old regime, right? Mm -hmm. And like yeah. that's my that's my concern. And it's not. And to be clear, this isn't a knock on Phil Max specifically, I like as yeah. a person, or to say that he doesn't deserve a chance to try to coach the national team or whatever. But it's just like, where are these new ideas coming from? Right. And like, even like over the break, like I saw, like, you know, some social media posts suggesting like that Cudmore should come back to the team. And again, yeah. my response to that would be the exact same. And it's like, why are we, why are we just trying to bring back all the people that have already worked for Rugby Canada? Like, let's, mm. you know what I mean? And again, this isn't a knock on Phil Mack. It's not, mm. or whatever. It's not, but I'm just like, like, I'm just kind of like, we got to hire a new coach. At yeah. some point, there's got to be some form of new voice in that yeah. locker room, right? And like right now, it's like the two biggest moves that have been made since we're all agreeing is that we need culture. If you just if you take out the names, yeah. right? Are we resign the coach? Yeah, right. Um, we resigned the underperforming head coach, and yeah. we promoted somebody from within the organization. My only question is just where's the change? Like, who's the driving factor behind the change? Like, where's the change coming from? That's that's all I'm trying to ask here. Yeah. No, I I think that's a very valid concern to have. It's one I didn't really think of. And I think it's just because people have seen Phil Mack play. Because it's Phil Mack. Yeah. Right? It's like, it's like it's, this, it's the equivalent of, like, any other team in any other professional sport that hires, like, a beloved player to be, like, the next Yeah. Right. Like it's like the Edmonton Oilers just did it. They need to turn around their season. So what they one of the assistant coaches they just hired was Paul Coffey. They hired the legendary player to come in. All the fans love the guy like he can't do anything wrong. Right? Yeah. All the fans love the guy because he helped them win a bunch of cups in the 80s. Right. Yeah. It's kind of it feels like it's kind of this. It's a great I think it's a great PR 
thing or whatever. Yeah. It's not to say that Phil Mack does not deserve this. I don't want that to be yeah. misconstrued. Right. But I'm just like, I'm just concerned that there's no one new. So like, my my new. counter argument, not not using names, using yeah. So he's the head coach of the developmental team with the whole intention yeah. of getting these players into professional environments, including getting them to represent the, the national team. Yeah. Now he's basically moved up. Yeah. Into a role that you know suits him because I think was he brought in as attack coach for the Pacific Pride in yeah and then he became the head coach when yeah but... so he's basically so for the past four years he's had some influence on the guys that have been going into MLR going yeah. to the Arrows and stuff and have been giving the recommendation of like this guy should be um, can be picked for the national team. He's been doing well in yeah. the pride. He's been doing well for his club and stuff. And then to have that continuation of support in a physical form, when you get to the national team, there are going to be guys who are going to basically have been coached by Phil Mack for, you know, now five yeah. years or have his influence, I should say, right. for the past five years. Right. And, and I can say from a player's perspective, from right. a player's perspective, not an organizational, from a player's perspective, that continuation and having someone in your corner mm-hmm. or the feeling of someone in your corner is a great thing to have. Again, from an organizational point of view, this goes against right. um, your, uh, the Sanson point. But I think yeah. the counter for that, though, is also we're all in agreement that the culture needs to change. Yeah. So you promoted the coach that's teaching the young guys the culture that we all agreed that needs to change. Yeah, How's again, change? again, I'm 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 going from like an organize. I'm talking from I, a player's perspective, it. not organizational. I get it. One. It makes it does make it it does make. So here's my okay. I guess I'll sum it up like this. Yeah, it makes perfect sense to promote the coach of the development team to the national team. Yeah, makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense to do that with, like, with Phil Mack as well. Yeah. But where's that? But like, those are also guys that have succeeded in the culture that needs to change. Hmm. Yeah. So where I'm... is the new ideas coming? In yeah. From? I right. Because this it, is the I, I I would love to see a new. Uh, like I don't know who the defense coach is going to be. That guy's got to be new at this point. Yeah, that, that, like, that, that has to be a new guy. That has to be someone that you have, uh, you know, worked with. You know, like Phil Mack has worked with. You know, maybe has a reference in New Zealand and stuff. And it's a Kiwi wants to come over and, um, or you know, maybe some of the guys who went to play in the, um, the New Zealand Club Championship. Yeah. Um, this past year, maybe they have a recommendation of who can come over and be like the national defense coach. Uh, yeah. You know, these are all questions that Rugby Canada needs to answer, not us. Yeah. But it, but I think we can say at this point now, we need a new outside perspective in the coaching staff. Yeah, like I don't like, and again, to be clear, like I don't. Th- th- again, this is not against Phil Max specifically. But like you suggesting like, okay, like a defense coach, other coaches, I think like there needs to be like, I have not worked for Rugby Canada ever in my life, voice influence in the coaching staff right now. 
Yeah. Right. Like there needs to be somebody that can come in, look at the structure, look at how like trainings run, look at how everything is done. Right. And then be like, we can change this and this and this. Right. Or even, hey, you're doing this really well, but this can be done better. Like to go through that. Um, I think like the thing that we said earlier before the resigning of Kingsley Jones is that the organization, at least on the men's 15 side, should get like torn down. Mm. Right. And if, if you still agree, like, I don't know, do you still agree with that or whatever? Like yeah. it should, right? Like, yeah. like, but it's like, it's a lot of the same people that are still involved in rugby Canada. So like, I'm just like, basically like right now we are we have the new strategic plan but we're trusting a lot of the people that were involved in rugby canada in one capacity or another to bring them back out of the hole that they were a part of rugby canada while they were digging that hole yeah and we're asking them to like we're asking the same people that dug the hole to climb out of the hole and to start filling in the hole yeah Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know I, I get I mean? where you, I get like, where you're coming from. All, that's my only concern. Like, I want new faces in. Yeah. Again, um, it's not against Phil Mack. It does make sense. Yeah. Technically, to promote the attack coach, promote the coach from the development team to the national team. I just want to know where the culture change is going to come from. Yeah. And yeah. I, I agree. I, I think keep hiring to... from within. Yeah. That's all I want to know. Yeah, well, we'll we'll see going forward. Again, we need out we need outside uh, names and outside faces coming in to change that culture. Well, we've talked about something that's definitely been confirmed. Now let's talk about a rumor that has been circulating, and that is that Scotland are due to play Canada in Ontario in 2024. That is the extent of the rumor. We don't know anything further from that. Now, through uh, the rumor mill that I've heard is that the men's team are going to play an international game in Toronto this year at York Lions Stadium. Now, you may be wondering why York Lions and not BMO, uh, yeah, BMO Field. And the reason for that is because Toronto right. FC exists and they... Uh, would likely be playing a game in the MLS at the same time. This was the same issue that happened in 2019 when Canada were playing Leinster. Not really, they have to play the at Tim Hortons Field. Emo Field is expensive. To that as well. That's the issue because, because MLSE. Right. I think you, you, may, you may have heard of them. Uh, Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment, um, aka the most yeah. profitable, largest sports organization in the country, owns yeah. that stadium. Well, they don't the own. Teams, Technically, the city of Toronto own. is the owner of it, but own it. But beam, but uh, MLSE have the uh, cash to splash apparently, and yeah. so and also there's huge restrictions on you know vendors and things like that. So you know, not a uh, it's not going to be like the profitable choice to make. I yeah. think unless it's a tier a high caliber tier one side, so. Back in 2021, when England was supposed to be touring, they were going to play at BMO Field against Canada. But obviously, 
that never happened, sadly. Um, but yeah, so if Scotland are going to play at York Line Stadium, I'd be eager to hear that news. Hopefully, the sooner the better, so we can uh, book tickets and get ready to go. All right, we're going to move on from the men's 15s to sevens. As uh, in the time that we've been taken off, there have been two rounds of the HSBC 7 series in Dubai and in Cape Town. So we'll start in Dubai. Um, for the women, you know, it was pretty good. Finished uh, fourth overall. Uh, for the men, not as good. Uh, they finished plum last in 12th. Uh, then they moved on to Cape Town, which was the weekend after. Uh, women, again, doing well, not to the same heights. Uh, sixth in Cape Town. And the men, you know, after uh, Dubai, you know, they were seen as like the uh, bottom feeders of the pack. They went up against um, New Zealand in the pool stages. And everyone was like, oh, okay, I can see where this is going. So they beat the uh, New Zealand Sevens team in the pool stages, made it to the um, quarterfinals and ultimately finished seventh. So a fantastic turnaround for the men in Cape Town, uh, which means that the current standings are that the men are ninth and the women are fifth. Now, I'm not entirely sure about this in that... Um, the because of the way that sevens is going to work if the men if it's only if like 12th place gets um included in like the knockout stages when the games go to madrid for the final round or not so yeah right, i've just checked on the sevens website it says madrid will play host to the high stakes relegation playoff competition where teams ranked ninth to 12th will join the top four teams from the world rugby challenge sevens challenges with the top four place teams securing their place at the hsbc sevens 2025 all right so calendar currently on the cusp of that and they have one two three four rounds essentially to improve on that and get at least up to eighth uh for uh example um france are currently the eighth team on 10th and samoa are the 17th on 11th so at the moment you know very close and very easy to turn this all around um because their competition in 10th 11th and 12th at the moment are the usa great britain and spain so Great Britain and Spain, they're also facing those uh, teams in the uh, Olympic playoffs, which are going to be <laughs> held in Monaco later, I think like a month before the Olympics as well. Man, so, what, a, what a repechage tournament that is. Yeah, that's going to be fun. But for now, you know, the focus needs to be getting into the knockout stages, getting a bit further ahead. Uh, you know, Canada, they finished... Um, further ahead than France and Samoa in the Cape Town 7. So uh, when they make their visit down to Perth, uh, which I believe is this weekend, yes, uh, the Friday to the Sunday, they will be, you know, looking to make it to that playoff stage again, you know, denying the other teams getting a bit... For they need to be ideally finishing more uh, like the women, fourth and sixth at the moment than in uh, the bottom... They need to basically keep out the bottom four. Look, lads, we we had this issue last year. The 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 higher you finish, the better it is for mm -hmm. all of us, and we don't have to, 
you know, have a heart attack every uh, time you play Kenya again. I mean, come <laughs> on, my, it's not fair, man. It's not fair. Welcome to uh, yeah. being a Canadian rugby fan. I hope you're enjoying yeah. your citizenship. Um, Thank you. What it's yeah. like. Yeah, we didn't talk about that. Congrats on that. But um, you're now officially a Canadian citizen. So welcome to being um, watching rugby um, mm. on the constant verge of having a heart attack and being in pain. You should be used to it. You cheer for Wales. Your best player plays for the, like, the NFL now. So you should be fine. Yeah, you know, well, uh, I, I said, you know, I'm becoming a Canadian citizen and he hopped on the plane over. But I think he was meant to go to the CFL, not the NFL. You know, bit of confusion with the agents, but, you know, you make mistakes, you learn from it. And we go again. Anyway, let's bring this back to North America and to the MLR because there has been a lot of news coming out of the MLR since we last talked. First of all, the most important thing, Rugby New York uh, ceased operations as well. They will not play in the 2024 season. Um, Something I do appreciate is that Old Glory DC put out a press release and talking about their financial stability as well, because obviously there's a lot of concern. I think a lot of teams put out small press release saying, you know, oh, it's sad that New York and Toronto aren't there, but our team's doing so well, and it's great. (laughs) Old Glory had the decency to explain why Atlanta relocated, why the Arrows folded, why New York folded, because... um, For Atlanta and Toronto, it was essentially like the same ultimate cause, which is their um, very enthusiastic uh, financial contributor passed away and there was no one there specifically to pick up the slack to keep a team in that location. New York, they admitted like New York is incredibly expensive uh, to have any kind of team. That's why um, the two uh, New York-based NFL teams are not in New York. They're in New Jersey. That's our, and yeah, they call themselves new, the Jets <laughs> and the Giants call themselves New York. And yeah, not even in the uh, state boundaries. So make of that what you will. Um, but I do appreciate that. I think sometimes you just yeah. need to explain to people why it's not happened and leaving it up to, Oh yeah, we're sorry about this, but we're doing great. But right. it's like, but I thought the teams have a collective ownership in the league. So if, one team's not doing well. Doesn't that mean that all teams? Are... So yeah, all glory DC. Much appreciated. Um, uh, you have we have now gone through one of sixty eight thousand league updates. Um, yes, since we last. Let, let me move on to the next. So yeah. competition update. We ne- I was originally going to say there are going to be eleven teams, and there's going to be no uh-huh. divisions or playoffs or com- sorry, no divisions or conferences. Uh, that changed uh, last week with the addition of Anthem Rugby Carolina or Anthem RC, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to be a unique team in the sense of MLR. So instead of having a financial contributor in the sense of an ownership, it is basically being financed by World Rugby and co-owned by World Rugby and USA Rugby. And the entire plan of Anthem Rugby Carolina is to promote players into professional environments to improve the USA national team to help them get um, help them to qualify for the 2027 Rugby World Cup and to ensure that they are competitive for the 2031 Rugby World Cup that they will host in the United States. 
Um, as a result, this means that there are 12 teams and we have the continuation of the East and West conferences. Mm. The main change being that Chicago is moving to the Eastern Conference. Uh, the playoffs have yet to be determined as of the recording. There's only been changes coming from the competition itself. There's been nothing from MLR about if the playoffs are going to revert back to um, eliminators and uh, conference finals and the championship final, or if they are going to progress with the uh, top eight teams that they announced back when they decided to do divisions. Um the only now there's another issues I see with Anthem Rugby Carolina. The main one is there's not going to be any Canadians on it, so they are never <laughs> going to win anything. Um, and secondly, that because they were announced so late, uh, they missed Kitmus. Uh, so the league announced the eleven teams of um, with their release of the home and away kits, kind of because San Diego didn't do that they did their military series instead so still don't know i don't think that is i think that's their jersey if that is their jersey then it's even worse Um, that's totally their jersey i don't know why you don't think that's their jersey well they label it as military series and none of the other teams have like a specific name to go with the jersey so that's why there's like the question mark of is this their jersey or not i agree with you i think this jersey stinks um yeah ammo is real ugly man um yeah there is a like the reason like like i get it if you're doing like like you said like a one-off like military appreciation day yeah like i get the camel thing um camel serves a very practical purpose the purpose of camel was to not look good it's to not be seen at all like it's to blend in it's not yeah and, and therefore it's a terrible sports jersey thing to have right because it's not so it doesn't look it's not supposed to look good even in the yeah. military when they have to go to like a ceremony or something where they need to look good they wear like suits and mm-hmm. stuff they have a different uniform they don't wear camo to like big military ceremonies they have like other dress that they wear um, yeah. camo never looks good on anything at all yeah. That's my but what one. but of the uh 22 kits that were shown yeah. And again, these are just um, computer images, so obviously it'll look different when players are actually wearing them. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite kit? Um, I think, yeah, like, I think my top, my, I want to give my favorite kit to Chicago. Um, yeah, I love how clean it looks. The uh, you got the green, the white and green hoops on the one, um, the solid green on the other. You got the collars. You got a couple little nods to the city of Chicago on like the sleeves inside the collar. The little fine details um, that make kits really good. Um, and honestly, like I'm giving it my number one spot just because, like mm-hmm. the other two kits that I thought blew me away again were just New England and Nola. Um, yeah, and- I, I've got to say, like, after, what is it now, since um, the- 2018? Yeah, they're the best in the league. They, we've yeah. been saying, like, what is the point of having this Mardi Gras kit and wearing it for, oh, like, numerous games? Perfect. Uh, and just and yeah. just calling it, oh, it's, it's just our Mardi Gras kit. Oh, we're just going to, we have our gold and white kit and our gold and black kit. And it's like, 
the the Mardi Gras kit is the fa- is everyone's favorite kit. Just make it your alternative. Yeah. And now they've finally done that. And, and they I give am. it a collar. And they give it a collar. Um, and, and to be honest, I you know, and on all the shorts because these are Kappa shorts, they have the Kappa logo three times down oh. each side. Even the away kit okay. on the Mardi Gras kit is the same Mardi Gras colors yeah, for the, the logo. So good, fantastic. It's so good. Yeah. Um, I think to me though, the biggest thing with New England and Nola, especially, um, like, um, you know, maybe even sh- like Chicago. Chicago is maybe just a little too new for this comment as a team entering their second season in the league. Um, But like, I think one of the things um, is New England and NOLA have obviously have been in the league for a while now. Oh, NOLA obviously being an original team, but it's like they have locked down what their brand is so well, like to like, they look like the quarters Jersey slight tweaks this year. I think I actually like it better because I think they made the number more visible good tweak um the little the box the added box it makes it the number pop a little bit more i think that's a really good tweak but it's like they've been rocking the quarters um for a while now it looks real good um it's a color scheme that nobody else in the league has no other rugby team i can really think of as being gold and white at all no other rugby team i can think of definitely rocks the color scheme for the mardi gras jersey um but yeah it's like it's something that's unique to them it's so perfectly identifiable and same goes to new england where it's like they locked in what new england what a new england free jacks jersey is going to look like minor tweaks change up the stripe pattern every year a little bit but it's like it's never like a far departure it's just it's two teams that i'm just like they know what their brand is and they are sticking with it like they developed it it's like it it evolves a little bit but they have a great understanding of what that is um and then like there's other teams in the league that i don't think are necessarily at that level um with you know going into it and stuff like um i don't know the one thing like um we finally got the la franchise um i the fact that they don't have a name um yeah, I like <laughs> Yeah, it just to me it doesn't work. Um, it doesn't. I don't think it gives. I don't think it gives fans that aren't from LA anything to identify with. Um, the reason I think I kind of realized that too. Um, as I said at the top of the show, my girlfriend's dad, uh, Mike, he gave me an All Blacks toque, and I was mm-hmm. thinking about why I love the All Blacks, and I realized it's got nothing to do with New Zealand. Um, I don't cheer for New Zealand. I cheer for the All Blacks. And it's kind of a different thing if you really think about it. Um, mm. Right. And it's like, that's why I think it's, it is an important to have that extra brand for people to latch on to. Um, I've been talking to some of my Australian friends as they follow the NFL. You ask them what their favorite team is, they do not tell you a city. They tell you, they don't say Green Bay, they'll say the Packers. Right. Yeah. Packers, Cowboys, Patriots, Colts, whatever that team is, they say the team name. They don't say what city they're from. If you're not from the city, the team name, the logo, that branding is what you latch on to as a fan. Um, we're now an MLR we're Toronto Arrows fans. We now don't have a team. I'm mm-hmm. not gonna cheer for Dallas. I'm not gonna cheer for Utah. I'm not gonna cheer for New England. But I might cheer for the Jackals, the Warriors, or the Free Jacks. Mm. LA gives me nothing. 
That's yeah. why I don't like that. That's why I don't like the team name. Also, every LA team, the L and the A are of equal prominence in the logo. Yeah. At, like the Dodgers, um, the Clippers, Lakers, the Kings, every LA team, the L and the A are of equal prominence. This team looks like they play in a city that starts with the letter A. The L is way too small, and the pictures of Jason Dom and those guys wearing it with like the the shirts that had it, it, it looks like an A from a distance. I, I think that was kind of a miss, too, on the grander Kitmas scale. That was yeah. not your question at all. That was just a random-ass rant. That was not your question. Back to you on, on topic. All right. What was, your, so, what was your favorite kit? You asked me for one kit. I gave you three and then ranted about a kit that I don't like. So right. I my favorite kit is probably the Chicago away kit. Again, yeah. solid green. Love the green color as well. Yep. Um, if I had to pick um any other, I say Nola's Mardi Gras kit, obviously. And it's I easy. New, it's, it's easy yeah. this year. And and New England's home kit. I do find it funny that New England's um away color is red. Considering mm. that um, the Free Jacks are named after the uh, soldiers that fought against uh, the British, which were the Union Jacks, uh, the British wore mainly red, and so they're <laughs> being named of the opposition to the British, but wearing the British colours. Um, maybe think that one through. You know, you know uh, the uh, the Union Jack and the the uh, Star Spangled Banner have the same colors, right? I know it's basically treason <laughs> that yeah. New England are wearing red now. It's absolutely despicable. You know, it's basically the it's the color of old England, not New England, old <laughs> England. Um, yeah, I, and to be, I think the New England's um, white kit from previous seasons. I think that just looks a lot New better. England has not missed since their first year in the league. No, they've missed once, and that is their it's either like their city or their vintage jersey of last year, which was oh, we're gonna do it as like baseball, and everyone just collective went, Oh, oh, yeah, like that's true. Because when you're used to X when you're used to hitting home runs yeah. and grand slams, hitting a single's like, oh, that's yeah. I think the the only oh, other okay. kit that I kind of want to mention, I think was yeah. Alice's, just because I kind of like that they took such a big swing with it. Yeah. But I also don't really like that I immediately was like, that's a Dallas Stars jersey. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a little tough. Yeah. I kind of like okay. the big swing, but it's it's a little too close to uh, it. Well, yeah, sometimes you just got to swing for the fences and yeah. it's either going to be uh, playing a hit or miss. But baseball anyway, let's, uh, let's uh, stop talking about kits. Let's talk about Canadians. Because um, there has been the uh, dispersal draft that happened since we last recorded. Now... I think it's just easier for us to list off where yeah, Canadians think. are in the league at the moment. So yeah. Anthem has no one, so they're not going to win anything. Ooh. Houston uh, don't have any Canadians listed, so they're not going to be lifting the shield this year. I'm sorry, that's just how it works. The team with the most Canadians uh, gets to lift the shield. Uh, we go to Chicago, where <laughs> um, and now that Jason- actually now that the arrows um, aren't in the league, yeah, yeah. like congrats yeah. New England back to back. New England. All right. So 
we have um, Chicago. Uh, they picked up Mason Flesh in the draft. They picked up Lucas Rumble as a free agent, and they had already done the trade to get Jason Higgins. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Dallas, uh, Liam Murray, Dewal Kotze, Kyle Steves, they return um, Carl Hunger and Brock Gallagher, uh, a new signings, and Mitch Richardson and Nick Ben were picked up in the expansion draft. Dispersal draft. Um, Dispersal draft, sorry. Um, over in Miami, Shane O'Leary got picked up as part of the expansion draft. The expansion draft. There's a lot of drafts. It's been a busy off. Yeah. And uh, Avery Oiterman and Giuseppe Detoy were signed as um, free agents. Um, then we move, move over to New England. Not many changes here. Foster Dewey, Andrew Quatrin, Cole Keith, Kyle Bailey was a new signing. Connor Keys. Uh, Josh Larson, Ethan Fryer, Piers von Dazelden, and Gabe Casey, uh, those who were new signings, Ben Lesage and Isaac Olsen return. Over to NOLA um, with the retirement of Eric Harrod. Um, Callum Botcher was picked up in the uh, expansion draft and has signed for the team. Over at DC, we are seeing the return of Cali Martinez and Graydon Bowd. Um, Logan Weiner has been signed and Tyler Rowland was picked up um, not by uh, DC but actually by LA and um, obviously he didn't sign with them and eventually decided to sign with the flags so he's going with them uh, speaking of LA um, they have signed Connor Grindle who was drafted to Dallas but has gone with RFC LA and they also have the continuation of um, some guys from um, Rugby ATL, including Connor Young, Matt Heaton, Seth Purdy, and Jack Shaw. Regan O'Gorman was a trade made um, with the Free Jacks. And Andrew Coe was also picked up um, from the dispersal draft from New York. Um, in San Diego, uh, Justices Daru remains with the team. We may be seeing the... Another mid-season re-signing of Michael Smith, but that is yet to be seen. Um, further north in the Pacific Northwest, uh, the Seattle Seawolves, uh, Nakai Penny and Reed Watkins return for another season. And Scott Bowers uh, is picked up from the uh, collegiate draft. Ah, okay, three drafts. <laughs> keep track of. Um, and over in Utah uh, with Emerson Pryor being the sole Canadian on that team. Not anymore. Uh, Spencer Jones was traded from New England. Uh, new signings of Noah Bain and Sam Reimer. And in the dispersal draft, Tyler Wong was originally um, set to go to Miami. However, he has not gone there and he has been picked up by the Warriors. But uh, and uh, in the case of going full circle, Robbie Povey has returned to Utah from that uh, dispersal draft. Um, originally did play, I think, four games for Utah, then uh, moved to Houston for the 2021 season. Was obviously meant to go to the Arrows, but never was meant to be so yeah so utah going from one uh, canadian to six so it should be definitely interesting with a grand total of 46 players um playing in mlr at the moment um representing canada in 2024 and a total of nine um arrows players uh that were now in other teams i was gonna say drafted but i'm also including, like, to, to clarify Rumble. 
when we're saying nine arrows players, though, it's nine arrows that would have been on the team in 2024. Yes. So, so like Shane O'Leary, for example, I'm not um well, yeah. I, I'm not counting as a twenty. Yeah, Shane arrow. O'Leary was going to Miami before anything happened. So yeah. And there's a couple other former arrows, obviously, that Stu mentioned in uh, yeah. that you mentioned while you were like kind of rhyming off the rosters there. Uh yeah that weren't going to play for the arrows the actual guy like i think this is the one thing that is um like it is a little concerning and it's obvious it's not surprising given that the toronto arrows are no longer an mlr team but it is a little concerning right is that the arrows obviously were a team that had like regularly would have 20 to 30 canadians on their team, right? Like 80%, 80 to 90% of that roster on a lot of years was Canadian, right? And um, there's only nine players that would have been on the Arrows in 2024 mm -hmm. that are currently on an MLR roster or have been confirmed or whatever um, yeah. to be on an MLR roster, right? So that's Flesh, Rumble, Richardson, Ben, Botcher, Roland, um, Grindall, Wong, and Povey. Right. So um there's there's a lot of guys that signed for the arrows that haven't signed in the MLR yet. Obviously, when they did the dispersal draft, only ten arrows were drafted. Nine of them were Canadian. The other one was Sam Malcolm, who got selected with the last pick um by Nola. Be cool to see Sammy back in MLR. Um but I'm I'm not sure if that was just kind of Nola throwing a uh, throwing a dart out there and being like, well, let's see if we can get this guy to come um, with the last pick because most of the guys that got selected in the dispersal draft were domestic players, um, and then obviously Andrew Coe is the other guy that got selected through the dispersal yeah. draft from New York. But um, 46 Canadians as of right now, so that's uh, the number is definitely down um, from last season, um, and. It's not surprising because the arrows are gone, but um, it does kind of show the impact that the arrows do have, even though you do have teams like New England, Los Angeles, Dallas that have all and Utah now um, that do have like a lot of Canadians. Right. But the overall numbers has definitely dropped because the arrows no, are no longer in the league. Hopefully we get some news of more Canadian signings in the uh what are we six weeks out from the season starting? I guess now. Yeah. Well, it's the start of March, so yeah, I don't know. I'm bad at math. Whatever. Um, but like, yeah, like I just hope that that's you know, there's maybe a couple more names that can trickle out there, but um, that's kind of where we're at right now. So, um, if uh, by the uh, La Rouge Rugby rule that the team with the most Canadians wins, um, place your bets on um New England Dallas, I guess a New England Dallas final. New England Dallas final. New England Dallas. Uh, I'll say New England Dallas. To top Dallas to LA East. Western Conference final. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Well, and Utah to be in the Eliminators as well. So yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting to see at least. Uh, but hopefully, we can add some more Canadian names to these uh, rosters, except for Anthem because, uh, well, yeah, yeah Anthem. <laughs> Anthem, Anthem and yeah. Anyway, let's um, let's move on to a team that Dallas. is guaranteed to have a number of Canadians on them, and that is the Vancouver Highlanders. So, 
the Highlanders announced that they are going to be um, revealing their roster over, I believe, like 12 weeks um, at the start of the year. And so since they've done that, they've announced seven names as of the time of recording, which is January 23rd. Um, so we have in the order of Highlanders, number one, Ollie Knott, two, Sam Mace, three, James Biss, four, Dakota McMullen, five, Paul Cellini, six, Josh Thiel, and seven, Thomas Davidson. Um, so some of you may recognize some of the names. Ollie Knott, Sam Mace, and Paul Cellini uh, were all uh, former Arrows. Sam Mace was signed to the team, but I think only appeared in um, academy roles and was the academy captain and uh, was the captain when they won the Coast to Coast Cup in 2023. Um, Paul Cellini, obviously the first Arrows player to reach uh, 50 caps. And Ollie not made a number of appearances in uh, for the Arrows yeah. um, over the past couple of years, um, and then you have someone like Josh Steele, who has um, recently played for the San Diego Legion, and we have guys like uh, Dakota McMullen, James Biss, who've um, come into the Rugby Canada camps, and yeah, so think- teams slowly coming together. They they at least have a. Team for sevens, at least at the moment. But obviously, <laughs> more names will be announced as the weeks go on. Uh, Derek, what do you make of the names uh, signed so far? Yeah, I mean, like I like it. Um, I think first of all, shout out to everybody that uh, you know. It was six weeks ago, I guess, but that everybody that listened to our last episode where we interviewed uh, Ralph McRae and Curry Hitchborn from the Vancouver Highlanders, kind of um, explaining you know what that program's going to all be about. Um, it's like easily our most listened to episode. So, um, that's cool. I think people are kind of, you know, in a, a bit of a dark year, like 2023, I guess all things considered a bit of a dark year for a uh, Canadian rugby, uh, you know, the national team perf- men's, at least for men's rugby, men's national team, not performing all that well. Um, you know, a whole bunch of questions around that. And then obviously the sad news of the arrows no longer, um, being a T- MLR team kind of hit so it was a tough way to kind of end uh 2023 but i don't know i i think people maybe like the idea that you know canadian rugby is not dying anytime soon and it's uh you know nice to get a little bit of hope um sprinkled in there so i'm glad everybody enjoyed that highlanders episode um but you know moving on to the uh, the squad here i i do like it i think like it's so far it's a good mix of like mlr guys and like young players that seem like they should be taking shots at putting their hand up for the national team selection shortly. Um, so, I mean, ultimately I think that's a, that's a really solid mix. Um, I think the name that jumped out to me the most out of all this, though, is Paul Cellini, who obviously did not play, um, in the MOR last year. So kind of nice to see him back in a, like a major, like, the Vancouver Highlanders don't like the word pro, so I'll call him high performance, I guess. Um, high <laughs> performance setup. So um, it's nice to see him back. Um, he's obviously a legendary hero. Um, so that's kind of, that, that's the name that kind of jumped out to me the most. Um, uh, all, all the first seven names have done is get me excited for the rest of the squad to see how that shapes up. I did just mention how few 2024 arrows seem to have actually landed somewhere else in major league rugby or at least that have been announced as landing somewhere else yet so i'm curious if more of them are going to pop up with the highlanders or not 
um who knows but um um i'm look uh, i don't know i like i look forward to it every time the highlanders like roll out a new name um i love that they're kind of photoshopping all the guys into a highlanders jersey so I think yeah get a little bit of a taste of what that's gonna look like um i'm all for tartan on a rugby jersey by the way so mm-hmm. i hope they uh, i hope they do kind of rock with that theme tartan is way better than camo um so mm-hmm. i hope they uh they do rock with that um i don't know looking forward to it looking forward to finding out who they're going to be playing um there's a lot of, i think there's a lot to be excited about with the vancouver highlanders so i mean yeah it's uh it should be good um i guess on a side note too, the atlantic selects because they're i guess a similar level um if that's yeah the well really the privateers now yeah exactly i was gonna say they uh they rebranded to the privateers they got the uh, absolutely sick logo um yeah the ship looks amazing um they have uh they re i you know they rebranded that um it's great to see um some people putting out like high performance rugby initiatives um in can like in canada the you know spread across the country a little bit um right especially since uh you know some of the biggest news to end the year was that we lost the uh, toronto arrows right so yeah um it's it's nice to see that there's uh still a lot of groups looking to make high performance rugby happen in canada and i'm excited to see how uh, the highlanders evolve and how their tournament um is going to evolve as well right so see who those opponents end up being or where they're where they end up playing and stuff um it's uh honestly the vancouver highlanders i think are might be the one of the things i'm most excited about right now yeah as at least as a canadian rugby fan um and i should say uh the atlantic selects i will count in the the selects and the, or not the selects anymore the pri- um the privateers excuse me the privateers and the highlanders i think are two mm-hmm. um things that we can kind of uh be really excited about right now as a uh, canadian yeah. rugby fans was- um so just a bit of information from the atlantic select uh, the Atlantic Privateers, when they announced <laughs> their rebranding, um, is that they had games planned against the USA Hawks in Charlotte, North Carolina, on April 6th. So Anthem Rugby? <laughs> Let me just double check. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, are, are the Charlotte Hawks a thing anymore? Or did they just... Well... Still a thing? I, I, th- I, I don't know. Anthem this... Rugby Carolina, right? Like... Yeah, so I think when they was talking about Anthem is that they're not um yeah. uh they're not specifically targeting under 23s at the moment because they know they have to be competitive within the league, but they are um giving guys younger guys opportunities to come through. Um so yeah, April 6th is when they said they'd be fans of the Hawks. Um Anthem is playing the Utah is away in Utah uh, yeah. that uh, weekend, so you know okay. maybe it maybe it, maybe there is the USA Hawks. Maybe it's a different team or unit, and they're gonna help identify that. Uh, yeah, guess we'll just have to see. Um, but they are also planning to face the New England Independence on Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, uh, date to be confirmed. Um, despite the arrows folding, the privateers are working to ensure that the arrows academy remains in some capacity. Obviously, um, with the announcement that uh, the arrows holdings group and LC have gone bankrupt, it looks as though they, if a enterprise is put together, it won't be known as the arrows or the academy. Um, 
uh, they're hoping that whatever enterprise is, um, comes back does compete in the 2024 Coast to Coast Cup as well as the Vancouver Highlanders and that the privateers are negotiating to play the Highlanders in the 2024 Rugby Players Challenge. Now, that, that's a lot of games, you know, that they've got planned coming up. Um, but again, they are a few months away. So if you are looking to watch any rugby in the meantime, we have the Sivens, which will be on Rugby Pass TV. It's a free service similar to the Rugby Network. You can just sign up for that. Uh, the Six Nations and uh, their full contact documentary is actually being released tomorrow from when we're recording. So probably Yesterday. a day or two after this comes out. Yeah. So <laughs> by the time this comes out, uh, the episodes will hopefully be available on Netflix. And we will be talking about that in our next episode. The Premiership returns on Sportsnet. And I believe the South African games for the URC. Uh, available as well and the premiership women's rugby game of the week will be available on the rugby network so there's lots of rugby still coming up at the moment you know you just have to wait a little bit longer for canadian rugby uh but if you enjoyed this new episode for 2024 be sure to check out more episodes as well as our written pieces on our website therougerugby.ca you can also find our podcast on spotify s4p and apple podcasts we have a youtube channel at the rouge rugby with episodes of the podcast make sure to like and subscribe and hit the bell notification to stay up to date with all our videos we're also available across social media including facebook twitter we're not calling it x instagram tiktok and threads all at the rouge rugby derek where can people find you on social media um at percept the jet across all social media platforms and you can find me across social media at hardmanspot h4rdman well, that's where we're going to end this episode. Derek, thank you for joining me, and thank you for joining us for the Rouge Rugby Podcast, where we focus on real Canadian rugby. As we said, we are back for more in 2024. We hope you can join us again next time. <laughs>